When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to The Game, Qatar 2022. Today we'll look back on England's exit from the World Cup at the hands of France and ask what needs to happen next when it comes to the head coach position. Will Gareth Southgate stay on or will he go? We'll also look ahead to the two semi-finals coming in midweek as Morocco take on France and Croatia face Argentina. All of the subplots within will be discussed and much more on the game. Hello again and welcome to the game World Cup 2022. Of course, things are different now. England are out of the tournament. I am no longer in Qatar. I didn't fly back with the team to Birmingham, but if I was on that plane, well, there would have been strong words exchanged. Let's say that. I'm alongside Gregor Robertson, Molly Hudson and James Restall to, in the clear light of day, now that things have settled, take a look on England's World Cup campaign as a whole and also look ahead to the World Cup semi-finals, which of course will not include the three Lions. We'll also talk about um, Gareth Southgate's future in the job. And this is where we start. The dust has settled. How do we now view that game against France? Are, are all of the things that are being said true or false? I mean, there are people that are talking about Gareth Southgate's approach. They're talking about his use of substitutes. You know, hindsight is a, is a wonderful thing. And that's why I made all of my comments about how England should play before the game. So I'm not going to go over them again. I'm going to leave it up to you guys. England's performance against France. Are we, are we still feeling how we felt straight, straight after the game that they played well and on another day they could have easily, easily won that match? James Restall. Um, I, I wouldn't say easily, but um, weirdly, I felt after the final whistle, I felt a sense of strange contentment that I've never had after watching England. I thought... I've just been followed by John Cena. This is a moment which has to be breaking news on the podcast. I was the other day as well. I was like, What the hell? What is going on? Who's your most famous follower? Well, genuinely. Because I'll shock you with mine. Go ahead. Carly Ray Jepsen. Really? Wow. Yeah. She's been following me on Twitter since 2013, which I can only imagine was for the brilliant. Late in Orient content she'd have been getting at that time. Um, it's, um, this is yeah. taking a strange turn. This podcast already. Yes. Keep this in, well, John. It. It's great stuff. No, no, we will. We will. Oh, sorry. This is meant for the podcast. No, this is. Listen, if a famous person ever follows you during the podcast, please mm. do make us aware. It will lead to a no end of hilarity. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. John Cena, Carly Rae Jepsen, yeah, Molly Hudson. You're going to say a really famous footballer, Gregor. It's probably me, right? Absolutely, it's you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back to England, James. Sorry Back to interrupt you. Yeah, 
No, it's fine. No, I felt weirdly content. And the, the, the reason being, I thought, I've just watched England go toe-to-toe with one of the best teams in the world in a really entertaining match. And it's a, been a completely 50-50 game. Uh, I think England have had some great chances. I think were it not for a, pe- for, for a penalty kick, there'd be extra time and who knows what would have happened then. And I thought a lot of people, I think, have been saying this is kind of par what England have done. But I think actually it's not for me. I think they've they've shown they can be aggressive. They've shown they can entertain. I always say going into a World Cup, and this is probably, an, again, an unpopular view, I don't really care if England win it. I'm not invested in it to see if England will win the tournament. What I'm invested in is seeing if England will play entertaining, good football and will get far enough into the tournament to make a good account of themselves. Um, I was reminiscing today with somebody about the 2006 World Cup in, uh, in, in Germany and how England kind of, I wouldn't say stank out the group stages, but played pretty poorly in the group stages got to a last 16 match, which was very stodgy as well, and then saved their best football for a game against Portugal, which they ultimately lost. And there was a real sense of kind of, it it didn't feel satisfying at all. For me, this feels like a satisfying tournament for England. And I think there's more progress has happened on the pitch. Yeah, I think think there's no shame in in, in going out at this stage. And I don't think that's a defeatist point of view. I've I've, I've heard people write, and I've seen people write today that, you know, no, England should be winning tournaments. I, I don't think so. As long as we're entertained and as long as there's clear progress and, you know, progress isn't just how far you get in a tournament. It's about the style of football as well. I, I think the future's bright. I think I can see a, a bit of sweat rolling down Hugh's forehead there. I mean, I think that probably is the polar opposite view to Hugh Wisencroft. <laughs> uh, shall I let you come in there, Hugh? Well, listen, I know I agree with James. It isn't all about winning the tournament. Not always. I mean, you, you do have to play to a certain level to be able to win the tournament. The thing is, I think England have reached the level where they are good enough to win the, this tournament. Certainly, on the evidence of what happened in Qatar, they were amongst the teams that were good enough to win the competition. My only feeling is that they they saw it too holistically. They saw it as an opportunity to show the world that they could go toe-to-toe with the best sides. They saw it as an opportunity to lay down a marker that an attacking aggressive 4-3-3 is the way how England want to play in the future. And my point is, in terms of this single match, you didn't have to do that. The focus should have been on just winning it. It was so important. I think they they kind of lost that. So they did show us all of those things. They showed us that in two years' time or a year and a half in Germany, an attacking front foot 4-3-3 will probably be conducive to us probably winning that. In in four years' time, certainly, given the players that we have, this will be a team that an aggressive front foot 4-3-3 will suit and we will play great football. But I think we were guilty with running away with ourselves slightly and not looking at this as a single match. Three at the back, five at the back, whatever you want to call it, has served England incredibly well in tournament football. And the games have not been entertaining. We haven't played anyone off the park, but we have gone through. And I just don't think that that was the emphasis in this game. I actually think we kind of, we got carried away with it. Like we, we, And I just, I just, I, I didn't know why. And that's why I said, I'm going to say this before the game, because I think before the game, before I knew whether Southgate was going to change or not, I truly believed and still believe that a more stodgy 1-0 Harry Maguire header, Harry Kane penalty, you know, that was our better way of going through. I think we are we are evolving. We're on a journey. We will be that team very, very Harry, soon. I truly ha- believe that. Hugh, we're just not Harry that Ma- team yet. Hugh, Hugh, Harry Maguire hits a post with a header from a set piece. 
and and Harry Kane misses a penalty. So in, in so so but we needed so in, to score. So, we needed to score three times. See, see, that's what I think is the issue because the way that we played, we needed to score three times to win the match. England, and I think if we England, played the more boring way, we needed to score once to win the match. I think England actually were playing a boring version of four three three in what they did because out of possession in particular, Carl Walker was 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 a was a right centre back. He wasn't he wasn't bombing on, he wasn't joining the over he wasn't creating an overload on the right hand side. And I think England were worse in an attacking sense for that. And obviously there was but that was the threat of Mbappe had to be negated. Um they they allowed Griezmann to get into lots of spaces on the left side on England's left side in the first 20 minutes and that hurt them and that's what led to the goal but then they fixed that and Bellingham was very alert to that in the second half and and shut down that threat I think it's a good team creating two good chances and scoring two good goals I don't think I don't think England's approach necessarily is what led to them conceding those two goals I think it's they were playing a world-class team that can create world-class chances and um, and England England certainly had the chances to 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 score three possibly four goals in that game. They came up against a goalkeeper who had a great night, and they came up again. And they had you know the, the rubber the green went to, went against them in missing a penalty and a header shaving the post. I think my probably main takeaway, having gone through this with the Lionesses in the summer, was like how difficult it actually is to win a major tournament. And I think I tweeted it after the game, like you need so many margins to go in your favour. And whether that's the opponents, like you, you think about how we've talked about England and how well they've played in this tournament and how positive they were. And all of those things that maybe we haven't said about England in the past, you know, we've talked about, you know, being a bit more defensive or whatever. It wasn't like that. But we've gone out of the quarterfinal stage, we've done worse. But it feels like we've done better even though we haven't done worse. And I think that's kind of a reflection of, you know, who you get in these games. I think we were all saying it, and my kind of friend group was like, right, whoever wins this game is probably going to win the tournament. And I know you might disagree with that, but it just felt like we, England, got unlucky with playing France, which then feels like we went out of the quarterfinal stage, which is a step backwards, but it shouldn't feel like that because actually there were a lot of steps forward. It was just almost the the luck of the draw or the luck of the kind of route, I think. I think for me, I was I was happy that we we didn't play that negatively, kind of three, five at the back, whatever you want to call it, because I think it's a reflection of how far England have come under Gareth, that they don't need to play like that. They have the players and the belief now to actually think that they can go toe-to-toe with France. And I don't think the fact that we lost that game should mean that we think the only way to play those games is to be defensive, because I don't think that's the case. Like, it came down to such small margins that on another day, you'd have played that game maybe with <laughs> with a different referee and you might have won it. So I don't think the fact that we lost is necessarily a reflection that we should go back to be negative, because there's enough talk about Gareth Southgate right now and his future Imagine if we'd played three at the back in that game and still lost. Like he said, it, it it's funny you say that because he he said that. I remember him saying that after the after the last sixteen game in the Euros against Germany, where they won two 0 playing the playing the three at the back, and he said something along the lines of, "If I'd lost that game, I'd have been crucified for the for for for, for setting up that way when they'd played a kind of progressive four three three in the group stage and then went for a." 
then, then, then went to a kind of more pragmatic system to, to, to basically stop the threat of Germany's wingbacks, which was the they, they were that they, they, they'd caused a lot of damage in the group stages, um, and they completely they completely eradicated them from the game. They were Goosens, who'd been amazing, was was had a, a terrible terrible game, and, um, and and I think that's the that's the thing. It's like he's I, I, I can see genuine progress from even what eighteen months ago, and I know we'll come on to Southgate, but. This is why I would back him in eighteen months' time to take the team further again. I think if they'd have played against Germany and not done that and played it back four, they probably would have got destroyed. But they didn't against France, even though they played with the back four mm. and were more adventurous. And I think that is a kind of sign of the progress, even though as we're all sat here thinking it's a bit weird to be so negative when we've lost a game and we've mm. lost a quarter final and we're out of the tournament so early. There's so much more to come and there's so yeah. much more potential in that group but I think there is still like I always think especially with a club manager you can kind of see a trajectory of when when the manager comes in and then you see the steady improvement and then you see that kind of plateau and you're like right what do we do now I think England is still on that upward trajectory I don't think they've reached that plateau yet even though um, if you look at the results in the tournament it's technically gone down I, I my only regret is that I wish we'd had this 2022 team in 2018, and it's what you were saying about the luck of the draw, Molly. Because if they'd, if this team had had that run, I think they might have. Well, I think they, I think they'd have got to the, they'd, they'd have got to the World Cup final, and they'd have given France a game in the final. And I think whereas this, whereas this team now has basically, it, it felt like watching the World Cup final, and that sounds ridiculous, yeah. but the, the quality of the match and the the way that it was decided by such fine margins felt like you were watching two really high class teams and feels weird that the World Cup's continuing because I feel like I've just watched the final that England have narrowly lost. I think a lot of us felt it was going to be like that. Going into this game, it almost felt like whoever wins this match will have the best chance of winning the World Cup with Brazil going out, with the way that Argentina have been playing, with, I guess, Croatia's lack of a full 11, the huge underdogs, Morocco. I mean, it really felt like it was a, a, a better opportunity. I felt it was a better opportunity than 2018 because of how good this squad is compared to 2018. Had we got past France, you almost feel like, and again, it's just English arrogance, by the way, so apologies to all of our non-English listeners, but um, you almost feel like England could have won it and football could have been coming home. So I think that was part of the uh, the real disappointment. I, I still feel, because I, ju- I do think, you know, all the things that we've been speaking about, they are to do with the wider vision of England and there was not enough thought of bringing it back to the 90 minutes. And and a lot of the decisions at this tournament make me think that Gareth Southgate knew he was leaving or knows he's leaving. I know he said he's got to think about it and he's going to take time and whatnot, but he has changed as much as the team has changed. Playing that 4-3-3 to begin with was a change. You know, he, he didn't have a settled formation because England had come into the tournament without a win in six games. So it was really up to him, you know, to roll the dice on the formation that he thought was best to get England results. But he went with a front foot attacking side. We all loved it because the fans have been calling out for it for so, so long. He even, as, as misguided as it was, changed his approach to his substitutions. You know, he brought all of the names off the bench. He brought in the squad the likes of James Madison, who all the fans were calling out for. You know, he he did seem to change. And the approach in this game made me think he's leaving. Because in, in my heart of hearts, I still think he's the waistcoat. And I still think he would have preferred 
to play the more negative style, but he just kind of knew, well, if I go out, there's a chance of me going out either way. We might as well play on the front foot and I won't be, I won't, I can't really be criticized for it because every journalist in the country has been calling out for me to be on the front foot. And so is every fan. So look, England could have easily won the match playing both ways. This is not, again, I'm not going back to the major criticisms I had when I was feeling the pain straight after the game. I just think it was a great message that Southgate sent about the future of English football and who we want to be and what we want our identity to be. But it was, if he really wanted to just focus on the 90 minutes against France, maybe it would have been slightly different. And I take everything you've said on board, James uh, and Molly, to be honest, because you're both right. Maybe someone out there thinks I'm right too, Gregor. I kind of agreed with you up to that last sentence where, come on, he's, he's put out the team he thought, thought was going to win the game. He's not thinking about sending messages about the future. He put out the team he thought was best equipped to win this this game. And we can debate whether he was right or wrong about that until the cows come home. The thing about the big the bigger picture with England is something I've kind of thought about a bit more in the last twenty four hours and it's true, it's kind of you know, there was a there was a countdown clock to Qatar in St James's Park that's now run out. All the stuff that's been going on over the last decade plus has had a profound effect. And Southgate's been at the very heart of that. The only kind of, you know, we spoke about whether we're going to come on to talk about Southgate, I'm sure, but the only thing that has in any any way come close to persuading me that England will be best placed with someone else in charge is when you look at actually what Serena Wiegmann did with the Lionesses, someone who'd been there and done it before, or with the impact of someone like uh, the, the Morocco manager, Walid uh, Reguagui, he... You know, someone who comes in and their impact is like it's all about winning, and that comes back to the thing that James was talking about. Like, what do you want? What do you really want from England? Do you want? Do you want? Do you want to be entertained? Do you want to feel a real affinity with the team, or do you want to go win the bloody World Cup? So, like, that's the only thing. I don't know who that person is. Like, who, who's this? Who's this mystery person who's going to come in and be a winner who's been there and done it before, willing to manage England? And actually, the public is willing to have them because they won't be English. There's not so, many like, the exactly. So. That's the only. That's the only way. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right, Molly. Serena could be the one, but that's the <laughs> yeah. only way. That's the only way you could persuade me that there's someone better out there than Southgate. And, and and actually, if you went down that route, you could you you know the people were people were saying go and get Roberto Mancini. They didn't. Even, Italy didn't even qualify for the World Cup. Um, exactly. So I do think so exactly. It, it, it's a, it, it's it's no, there's no exact science to this, and and I, you know I looked at the list of names that we've published this morning on of potential contenders and I think there's there's just there's flaws with all of them and and none of them are perfect and the, the thing that I think is would be the, the biggest thing that would be lost by Southgate walking away and it will be it would be Southgate walking away it's all on him the FA want to keep him there's no shortlist haven't the, in the in Matt Lawton stories today there's no shortlist that's been drawn up um, it will be on. It's all on Southgate, and the biggest thing that would be lost if he walks away is the fact that he has made Premier, English Premier League players want to come and play for England. How many times over the years did you hear about the cliques, about the players not wanting to turn up? There's an excellent bit in Paul Hayward's book. Uh, um, Paul Hayward's just written a brilliant book, the biography of the England team over the last 150 years, and there's an interview with Southgate towards the end. Southgate actually mentions that when he picked his first squad in 2016. I think there were three dropouts through to, due to injuries or whatever, and he tried to call up three players, and three players refused to be called up to the England squad because 
they were so there was just such a feeling of negativity following Iceland and all the years before that and they just they didn't want to be part of it and he's made people want to be part of this group and he's and he's created this incredible aura around the team and actually yes we want yes we want them to win world cups yes we want them to be more successful than they are or certain people do i actually think that you would you wouldn't you wouldn't guarantee the level of performance that they've that this group are currently reaching if you got somebody who couldn't create this same aura about the around the group so that 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 for me is a kind of more important reason for why he's got to stay and actually why of all those list of the list of candidates there i wouldn't be totally against steve holland staying and taking it because at least he knows how to create this environment he's been a central cog in the southgate project so i i, I genuinely i i mean we'll talk about this i think what's the the the, the reader poll in the times says 69 percent of our readers want um want southgate to stay um i'm firmly in the 69 percent Yes, James, you're absolutely right. Over 20,000 pollsters, if you like, voters on the poll online. 69% of them want Gareth Southgate to stay. I am also alongside you in that camp. I think he is the right manager for England. The list that you mentioned published on the Times app in terms of potential contenders should Gareth Southgate choose to leave. You mentioned Steve Holland. Steven Gerrard was on that list. Graham Potter, Eddie Howe, uh, non-English, Brendan Rodgers, Thomas Tuchel and Mauricio Pochettino. Um, And there'd be question marks over a lot of those names should any of them be linked with the England job, to be honest. Um, But yeah, I think Southgate should stay. I think he's our best chance of success not just at the next tournament, but the tournament after that. And I don't think he did much wrong, as much as I've been pretending that he's... There's loads of criticisms about his approach. You know, I don't think there was anything necessarily wrong with the fact that he stayed to to what the team had done so far in the tournament. I mean, it would have been the first time they changed formation. They'd played okay before that point in time, so so why not? Um, But certainly, I don't don't see anyone else staying on as uh, being manager and being better than him. Do you, Gregor? No, I mean... Can we also just say that this is quite extraordinary? This is progress, surely. That 69%, I mean, I'm, of course, this is time, read- time readership. It's not, you know, the, the country at whole, but it's a good indication. 69%, you've just gone out of a tournament in the quarterfinals, and 69% still want the manager to stay. This is new. This Man's is good. of cancel culture, no less, yeah. This is what good. do you think, James? <laughs> uh, I, 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 well, I, I think it's the very best selection of, of people to ask the time. <laughs> of course, um, of course, but, I should have said but, that. But, but, I, but, but, uh, but, but I think, the, I think, I think generally, like with, I, I can't see how if he goes, I can't see how the, the, the progress continues. Uh, I was talking to one of our colleagues out in Doha yesterday as we were kind of discussing the aftermath and working out the coverage for for what's in today's paper and on the app. And and he suggested actually that, you know, that there were so many players who were queuing up at the end of the game to talk to the media and say how much they wanted Southgate to stay. Kane, Rice, Maguire, all the senior players. And my colleague suggested that there almost needed to be a kind of an intervention here. Like the players, that senior group of players need to kind of go and see Gareth together in the new year and say, and say, Gaffer, we want you to stay, please stay. Don't you know? He needs to. The, the, the he talks. Gareth talked about how the last eighteen months have been very bruising for him personally, um, and he has been criticised a lot. He got he got got lots of abuse from the crowd after they lost four nil to Hungary at, at Molyneux, which, by the way, was a much weakened England team at the end of a long season, and, and really it, it, it 
look, given, given what's happened subsequently, I don't think that result really means anything. I think he just needs to shut out the noise. You know, he needs, he doesn't, don't worry about what the critics are saying. The, the, the majority of, of the majority clearly want him to, to, to stay in the job. His players want to play for him and want him to be in the job. So, so, so I think he should, it, the only thing that I think would make him genuinely want to go uh, would be if he feels that he can't bring, as he, as he mentioned, enough energy to the role and he feels like his heart's not in it anymore. And, it, and then in that case, then maybe, you know, the worst thing that could happen would be for this team to then go backwards under him and we're in a situation where we're two qualifiers in. The first qualifier in March is Italy, which is incredibly tough. And I actually think this, even though two teams go through in this European qualifiers, I actually think this is a tougher group than England have had for a while. Ukraine are in there, North Macedonia are in there. It's a, it is it, it it might be one where there could be a couple of slip ups. I do think if if Gareth's got the energy to go on, he'll only know that after he's had Christmas and he's had a break and he's recharged and he's actually had time to think about it. But if he has the energy to go on, he absolutely should go on and shut out the noise. And if it takes a group of players to go and see him and say, "We want you to stay and reaffirm their belief," then 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 they need to do it. I'd say that the the kind of positive atmosphere that you you were speaking about, James in the camp and the players feeling, you know, respect for Southgate and everything, they've had to defend them so much as well. Mm. They've had to like, you know, I, I almost feel that the positive atmosphere and the togetherness is despite us and despite the English public. I hope that doesn't sound like too offensive, but you saw how quickly it turned after you lost in the, in the same, in, in the final in, in the Euros. It's always been, it's always felt very fragile and, so this is why this, you know, this reaction after going out in the quarterfinal, to me as an outsider, looks like a positive step. There's look, there's still voices. There are still voices who are angry. I mean, one of them is our colleague Henry Winter, whose opening sentence in his piece today was, "Where's the fury?" You know, I, I've not covered England <laughs> for you know two or three decades like like Henry has, and 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 as, as as invested. But I can't see why there should be anything coming close to fury after watching England lose to the world champions after hitting a penalty over the crossbar by the finest of margins. I don't know how Fury comes into the conversation, but it's still out there. It's, no, it's, it's diminished, but it's still out there. It's so interesting you mentioned the Fury that Henry raises because I remember after the Iceland defeat actually feeling I was quite um, inexperienced in my job at the time. I was, I, was, I was relatively new to journalism and it was the first major tournament that I'd worked at a national newspaper. And... I remember senior colleagues being quite angry about it and and, and feeling, you know, the, this isn't what the England national team should, you know, they, sh they shouldn't be losing in the last 16 to, to Iceland. And I, because, you know, growing up through, you know, my first memory of a, of a tournament was, was the 98 world cup. And, and, and my first proper one was the 2002 world cup where England have kind of had very varying degrees of failure, gallant or hapless. I actually felt a sense of real apathy about it the Iceland defeat and I didn't feel angry I felt kind of you know I felt I felt well you know this is this is kind of what we've come to expect over the years now and and it's interesting now that I kind of I now because the because because the rebuilding process has been so good and quick and the kind of relative success has been so instant I've kind of my fury is reserved until something like that happens again now I think I think is I think if England had lost to Senegal for example who are very who are who are champions of Africa 
and still a very good team, albeit they were shorn of their two best players. If, if England had lost that game, I'd have felt a real sense of anger because I would have felt that they've not fulfilled their potential. Similarly, I think if England had lost that game against Germany at the Euros last time, I'd have also felt angry because I'd have felt they've not they've not met, met they've not reached the level that I expect of them at this tournament. But I sort of thought, play France. Anything after that is a bonus. If they can beat France, anything after that is a bonus. But getting to this point is what I expect of this team at the moment. I think what we kind think, of, Molly? I think we kind of forget that managing England was always the impossible job, and just because of the way that Gareth Southgate has changed the culture, doesn't kind of mean that we can imagine the immense like personal toll doing that job would take on you. And he's done it for quite a while now, and particularly coming into this tournament, like it was so much negativity and so much like Southgate out. And, you know, the the way that he's held himself, the way he's, you know, every press conference, every manner of subject has come up, you know, often nothing to do with football. And he, he's, or, you know, more societal issues, for example. And he's, he's always, you know, spoken so well and sort of, been the perfect manager from the outside and always appeared so calm but like mentally and personally for like his family that's such a toll to do that job and like we don't know if as Hugh was saying earlier like did he have in his head that this was like his last go at it and then he like maybe the guy just wants a break like maybe he wants to go back to a club job that's less stressful like England is so much bigger and I think people don't realise that. Like, even someone like, you, you look at some of those names, like Pochettino, for example, who's like a massive name in club football, but put him in the England job and the amount of abuse and criticism he'd get would be like nothing that he's had before, even though he's got to the very highest of the club game. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know mm-hmm. if that makes sense, but I feel like we actually sometimes forget how big their job is to be England manager, and that's our fault. <laughs> like, yeah. that that's part of our job and that... that, that to make that so difficult. But I genuinely think that I don't think anybody should, even if it's maybe the right thing for the team and the players want him to stay, I don't think anybody could argue with him if he goes, you know what, I've had enough of this. If he does bow out, I think that the, I just would hope that he is given and he, he, he stands in history as, and his legacy is that he has completely transformed this job. Um, and that that is he's given the credit he deserves because when you mentioned the impossible job, Molly, I just I, was, I saw a stat posted over the weekend that I just had to dig out that England won six knockout games in major tournaments from 1968 to 2016, and Gareth Southgate has won six from 2018 to 2022. And I think that is that's a, a that's a that's a very clear example of making the impossible possible. He's removed the fear. He's removed the. Um, the kind of, the, I mean, the relation, the, uh, ironically, the relationship between the England team and the press is probably at its best ever in terms of, you know, it was, it was, it, it was, it's been very hostile, particularly in the, in the 90s. There was a, you know, there was a real disconnect there. And he's, he's managed to kind of unite everyone. One of the things he did, one of the first things he did, which I thought was genius, was in ahead of 2018, they put all 23 players up individually and allowed the reporters to kind of go round table by table and speak to every single player and every single player shared their personal story they, they talked about their background they talked about their club careers um 
Danny Rose gave an incredibly powerful interview about his mental health. And he allowed, he gave the players the platform to be humans and to be themselves and said, there you go. One bar, you know, there's no kind of control over this. You speak to whoever you want to speak to. And that has continued. And it, didn't, it only didn't happen this year. That, and, and that's true, Molly, in the, the women's game, this happens as well, isn't it? With the England women's team. They, they put all the players up in the squad at the start of the tournament. And I think the only reason it didn't happen this time was because of the short nature of it and the fact that it was mid-season and they didn't have much of a build-up. But it's kind of, it's, it's little things like that that have made people reconnect with these players. And I think the, the reason these players seem so likeable and so much more, so much more uh, kind of relatable is because Southgate's allowed them to be relatable. And they've, and they're not kind of been, they've not been kind of stage managed by press officers, etc. I mean, there is a, you know, there's always a degree of that, but, but the access has been so much better. And I think the, the public are seeing a kind of more human England team as a, as a result of that. That's the blueprint that the successor has to follow. And those are the standards that the successor, if there is a successor, has to, has to meet. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. He's made the job almost impossible for someone else to do. He took over the impossible <laughs> job. He has made it more impossible for whoever is after Gareth Southgate. When that will be, we're not quite clear. Um, are we unanimous? Are we all in the 69%? We all think that Gareth Southgate should stay? Just a nod of the head. James, yes. Molly, yes. Gregor? Well, I'm yes and no, because I, I think yes and that for England's sake, and no for him. I think I think that yeah. he's six years. It's been, it's been a tough old slog. And it wouldn't take much for it to go sour. We've just seen that. And then, you know, if he's having to deal with more kind of peaks and troughs ahead of another tournament that's only 18 months away, then I agree it might be best for him just to just to call it a day now. We're going to find out very, very soon, I think. Uh, well, at least in the next month or so, I imagine, uh, whether Gareth Southgate wants to stay in the role. I'm sure we'll spend some time with family over Christmas and the FA will have something to say about it in January. Um, from my perspective, fingers crossed he stays. I love arguing about football, formations, tactics, results, whatever it might be. But on the grand scheme of things, the guy's done an incredible job. England are going somewhere. I think we can win the next Euros. I think we can win the next World Cup. So, no. As much as I like people to get sacked, not Gareth, not now. Okay. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Let's move on because there is some football at hand. England are out, but there are several teams still in the tournament. The first World Cup uh, semi-final is on Tuesday. It sees Argentina face Croatia. Luka Modric up against Lionel Messi and co. Should be a fantastic game. Difficult to call for me personally. I saw both of these teams. I saw live at the World Cup Argentina four times. I saw Croatia in the flesh three times at the World Cup. Uh, including the game against Brazil last time out for, for Croatia. And um, they have the ability to, look, take the sting out of the game at times. They are completely comfortable on the ropes. They don't have any worries being in that position. So 
uh, a bit like Morocco. Give us your best shot and uh, you better score more than once, basically, because if you give us a chance to score once, we will probably take it and that's going to be enough for us to at least get to penalties. And this is the side that is most comfortable taking the game long into the night, if you like Croatia. So um, I certainly think they can beat Argentina, an Argentina side who in all the games that I've seen them have put in some quality in patches, mainly around what Lionel Messi can do. And until that moment of magic, they've pretty much been 50-50, if not second best in most of their games so far. I'm almost amazed that they haven't got knocked out yet, to be perfectly honest. But they have just enough quality and they have the best player on the planet or one of the best players ever in the shape of Messi. So the question is really, will Messi be the difference once again or can Modric and co spring another shock at this World Cup? Molly Hudson. I think it's sort of a, a story of two sort of incomplete teams, isn't it? I think if you kind of look at both teams on paper, there's there's obvious strengths, but there's also quite clear weaknesses. And I think maybe if you look through this tournament, when you have had a team that haven't been that great, and particularly Argentina, it's just been messy, hasn't it? Messi is just, you know, you, you think about looking back to the group stage, they were kind of down and out at one point, weren't they? And now they've they've got further than England. Um, they've lost to Saudi Arabia. What's going on? Um, so I think, I do think on paper, you're like, right, Messi can make the decision. But ultimately, when does their luck run out? Like how often can you keep relying on Messi to, to pull something out of the bag? And I think, as you say, the way that Croatia kind of set up and the way that they play, I actually think the game will suit Croatia more than it will Argentina because we've actually seen Argentina probably play better against like bigger teams that will allow them kind of more time and space than like a Croatia who will happily sit back and they'll they'll make you kind of work for it and they're not going to suddenly give the, the attacking players of Argentina loads of space. They're just not going to do that. And I think... They have. They must have such a like. Imagine if England did what Croatia do, and they're just so so comfortable. They must have such belief in their group that when it comes to like extra time, well, with Croatia, we're going to win. You know, you, you watch a game where Croatia get free to extra time, you're like, well, they're not going to panic. They're not going to, you know, slide in and make a silly error that you kind of get at that stage of a game where you know if you do that, you're going to lose. And I think there must be such a kind of. Uh, strength, a belief, a togetherness in that group. And I can't say, you know, I'm a Croatia correspondent or, or have any idea of what that's like, but you must be able to feel that over there. You must be able to feel that kind of togetherness based on what they've done. And, you know, for players like Modric, you remember when he come off in that game that he hadn't played that well, I think it was in the the game after the group stage. And it was like, well, that could be it for him. And I think that as much as we know that this is, you know, Messi's last dance and how much that means. It also is for, you know, a, a few members of that Croatian team that have done so well. And I think as much as we now look at it and go, oh, you know, if England have won, they could have been favourites. I think every team in the tournament's also looking at that now, like, God, this is a real chance for us. And Croatia particularly must be thinking that. So I, I actually think Croatia could, again, surprise people. Maybe it won't be the most entertaining thing in the world, but I I, I don't think you can keep relying on Messi to keep pulling it out of the bag again and again and again. I know he's great, but at some point, your luck runs out. Croatia are almost the antithesis of England. Like They've made the semi-final in three of the seven times they've been in, in the World Cup. You know, They're only a 31-year-old country with 
less than four million people. Th- three of six independently. Once a, one of those seven was as part of a Yugoslavia side. Okay. Okay. So as well, Croatia, they've been in six World Cups and this is their third semi-final. The resilience is remarkable. And listen to their record in knockout games in the 2018 and this, this tournament. Draw, draw, one by one goal after extra time. Defeat, draw, draw. Now, obviously, they won all the draws on penalty kicks. But, like, they just find, they just know, they just, they're so resilient. They always find a way of getting through. And... That's what makes them a kind of formidable opponent for anyone. Because as you said, they can they know they've got probably the best midfield in well, certainly was one of the best one of the best midfields in the competition. And their control of possession is almost like a defensive tool. They can just knock the ball around in the middle of the park rather than actually particularly trying to go forward. That's what they do a lot of the time. Spread it from left to right, you know, little probing balls here and there, but they've not really got any pace up front. Look, really can't really stick it in behind. So a lot of the time, it's kind of possession for possession's sake, and knowing that as they as they kind of get further and further into the game, they're still in it. They can grind down the opposition, or they can find a moment from somewhere. They can just step up a gear and find a way to to win. And if not, they'll go to penalties and they'll back themselves. So I could see it being quite boring. <laughs> I could see it being uh, a stodgy, is, is... stodgy affair. And yeah. you know, we can talk about moment hope for a moment of magic from Messi and we can hope for it early too because then Croatia will have to step into the game but uh, Croatia Croatia's weakness is in attack and scoring goals even more so than in 2018 and I think again it could be another one that goes to extra time I really really hope not and I'm getting really really bored of all this extra time now um, <laughs> it's I, I'm sorry I, I know I know like we're, we're all supposed to say you know well done Croatia the underdogs etc but I just, for me, it's just like the antithesis of what I love about a World Cup. And I know the story. I know their story is great, and they've it's a huge they they hugely overachieve for the size of the country that they are. But my God, I just I I honestly do not want Croatia in the final. Um, and and I apologies to anyone who is Croatian. Um, and I, just, <laughs> I honestly, I'm just I watched the game against Belgium, the the crucial decider in that group. Um, and it was the first day that I'd had where I wasn't working and I watched it um, in my local pub and I just, even though Belgium were deeply flawed and there was a lot of problems off the field there and not a lot of harmony in that group, particularly after what De Bruyne had said about, um, you know, in the, given that interview saying no chance we're going to win it, we're all too old. They were, they you know, but for Romelu Lukaku remembering where the goal was, Croatia would be out of this tournament. Uh, they didn't have any. They didn't have any potency up front. They had a lot of the ball. Didn't do very much with it. Um, they were on the ropes at the end. And I know they've, you know, they've, they've, they've dug in and they've, and they've got through these these knockout games so far. But I just, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I, it, it's, it, it. I, we've got the prospects of Mbappe v Messi in a final. Can we not just have that, please? Who, who would have I, thought? I, I, who would have thought that after the nil-nil draw between Croatia and Morocco in the group stage, that, that could be a final? <laughs> could you imagine that that's that that could be the final again? Yeah, and, I, and, and I, I know where you're coming I, from, I, but still, I, I, this is purely for footballing reasons. Like I have nothing against Croatia, nothing against Morocco, nothing against any of the teams at this tournament. But just from purely footballing reasons, and the and for the in the pursuit of entertainment, I really, really don't want it to be. Uh, if you a think, by the way. Title. 
if you think in fact there's only one reason why i would have croatia morocco final is because i am obsessed with new new names on trophies and that would mean there is guaranteed (laughs) new name on the trophy but apart from that that one nerdy caveat yeah sorry argentina aren't that entertaining my friend so if you're expecting them to give you fireworks they're not much they aren't much better than croatia if you take Lionel Messi out of it. Magical moments. Yeah, but, but yeah, Messi yeah. is part of it. And and and, the, and they give you magical moments, like that amazing no-look assist against Holland. And I just like, that's just joyous and makes you sort of, just confuses you. And go, how can how can somebody have the vision to do something like that? And I know Luka Modric could do things like that as well. And I know he's, a, he's an excellent, excellent player. But I just, I, I, I would love to see Messi in a World Cup final and have a chance to... To, to end his career, end his career at the highest level with the with because we think he's going to into Miami next season to finish with the the, the pinnacle which is the World Cup um, and there are plenty of great players who haven't won the World Cup and he is of all the great players the most deserving to win a World Cup. I don't think I can cope with two more games of Messi loving on the commentary. Like, I don't <laughs> think I can actually do it. The, court, the quarterfinal, I honestly thought about muting the TV. It was too much. <laughs> Last half an hour, he did nothing. And they were just, just talking about how great he was. Mm. I'm sorry, I can't cope with that. Get him out. Croatia, come on. <laughs> on a reasonable note, when it comes to the football itself... I mentioned Argentina weren't all that. They aren't. Um, I expect Croatia to have the midfield quality. I think they've chopped and changed a lot in terms of their team so far in this tournament, uh, Argentina. And ultimately, they have a, a leaning towards giving the ball to Messi and waiting for him to make something happen, which, to be honest, is a pretty good plan. But you can certainly beat them if you're Croatia because... Croatia nullify the opposition. They make they they dull the the sword, if you like, by just having that possession for a good, you know, whatever it might be, 15, 20 passes. It's more than enough. I think it's more than enough. I'm hearing papers. Is that well, me? I'm just. I'm, no, it's me. I'm just. I'm just getting my copy of the game from today. Oh, I it's, see. I was just. I was just checking. It's got. Yeah. It's last the last World Cup. Croatia blew Argentina away in the group stage, three 0 This Argentina team, the Argentina team that lined up in their last match was only Otamendi and Messi played in that match against Croatia four years ago. The team is much changed. And as you mentioned before, the the, the, the Croatia team is, is is lacking that kind of potency and that goal threat that it had four years ago. Uh, and and, the, and the, the Argentina team then was really imbalanced and in complete disarray, really. So I think it's but if but 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 that said, you know, you still have six players in that Croatia team are still there now and still in that Croatia starting eleven. And if you're going into that game, you're, this game holds no fears for Croatia. I don't think anyone holds any fears for Croatia. But but and that's why they're that's that's why they're so effective in these knockout games at, at, at squeaking through. But um, but I think they, you know, if I if I was Croatia, I would be thinking actually try and win this in the ninety because. You know why? You know, a earlier nights for everyone else back at home, great. But two, I think they have the you know they they've got that know how and that experience of four years ago to know how to beat Argentina in the ninety. So um, and that was a and that was a and that was a team that had Messi who was far more at the peak of his powers than he is now. There is a mortal fear when it comes to Argentina of not winning this World Cup. That's what you sense inside the stadium from all of their fans from the bench, Scaloni looking like 
I mean, literally expecting to be handed a P45 during the game. Like he just looks entirely frightened the whole time. And from the players as well, who know it's Messi's last chance. And, they, and that's the thing. I think they almost feel that they're doing it for him. And that's not good. If they go 1-0 down, Argentina, I you, you get the sense. Firstly, they play on the edge a lot, as we saw against the Netherlands. They do put in a lot of heavy challenges throughout the game. They are a bit of... Uh, uh, they're one of those sides, I think. They're just a little bit niggly. And I do think you can get at them mentally as well as anything else um, because the frustration just seems to grow and grow and grow until Messi releases all of the tension with a goal or a pass or a moment that suddenly makes them realise that they're not that bad footballers. But until that comes, yeah, I definitely think Croatia have, have what it takes to scare them, scare them off the pitch, if you like, because now playing against Croatia, they will be seen as heavy favourites back home and they will be thinking, well, we have to win this. We can't not win this. You know, if they were playing France or if they were playing Brazil, it would be a different story. They're now being seen as we have to get to the final. If we get to the final and it's against France, we, we should probably win because who wins back-to-back World Cup? So I do think if you just scare, if you scare Argentina, it might descend to madness. And it wouldn't be the first time that we've seen an Argentina side descend into madness. Hugh, I was going to ask, because when, when you were out there and talking to the guys who are out there for the Times, the, the, the Argentina fans are huge presence on the on the ground like they're, they're, they're one of the best supported teams out there and uh how much is that how much is that a kind of a help and a and also a hindrance in the stadium because they've kind of got they've got this the, the kind of weight of expectation that you just talked about there is kind of that i think the players can clearly feel that because of the because of the fact that it's their fans predominantly that are in the in the stadium is it kind of is it helping them or otherwise do you think I think if you look at the goal celebrations um, from the Argentina fans from Messi excuse me from the Argentina players uh, and the likes of Messi to the fans you you can tell that the players are feeling what the fans are feeling you know there's been a couple of games where they've scored the goal lifted the tension the players have said yeah just relax just relax we had it in hand you know there, there is clearly that element of we know what you're thinking and feeling I th- I I think Morocco who fill out the stadium and Tunisia who filled out the stadium their fans were a huge help because you're a side with nothing to lose and they have smiles on their faces and they're proud of you no matter what but there are certainly periods of huge noise from those Argentina fans that mean that when they go quiet and they do go quiet at times when they're a little bit worried the drums are still being played but the songs aren't being sung as loudly that you you almost feel that hush come over the stadium and that is when the real tension comes in, I think. Like they're just waiting for their side to, to galvanise them and make them sing again. And that's in those periods, that is Messi's moment usually. It's usually when the pressure gets the absolute highest. This is why he's such a great player. This is why I'll always be remembered because that's when he responds. I, I don't want to see Argentina and their fans in a position where they're one or two goals down. Because if they're two goals down, those fans are going to be all over them. They're not going to be able to breathe, those Argentina players. You know, that moment where you want to your fans to lift you. I'm sorry, these are great fans, great fans. But that will not be what message they're sending onto the pitch. Come on, guys, you can do it. Oh, believe me, that will not be it. So, uh, so yeah, so listen, those Argentina fans make a difference, but only if the side's playing well, because it goes from happy to happier. If they're playing badly, I don't see them as being a, a huge help because they, they don't go into the stadium with that underdog mentality. They're Argentina and they've come to this World Cup and spent the money expecting to see their team 
lift the trophy. Very quickly, match predictions. Do we think Argentina or Croatia will go through? Gregor Robertson. It's so hard to call, but I think I'm going to plump for Argentina very narrowly. Croatia after extra time. <laughs> James Restall. Uh, Argentina after 90 minutes. I'm going to go 2-0 Argentina. Yeah, Messi to score once again. There's a huge semi-final coming on Wednesday between Morocco and France. And there's just a huge colonial historical relationship between the two. There's the relationship between Islam and France in society. This match takes on such a huge context with Morocco being the first African side in a semi-final. Clearly then the chance of becoming the first African side in a final and the first, to obviously, to win it. Whether that weighs on them or not, I, I'm not sure. Their manager, Walid Regoui, he spoke about it before, um, saying, look, we know that we're flying the flag for Africa and people feel that way, and we know that we're flying the flag for Arabic football fans as well, but we feel like we are here representing Morocco and what we do is for them and our fans and our country, which I do think is an important distinction. And as much as the commentators will constantly talk about Africa throughout the game, this is about Morocco and France. And it will be an incredible occasion. Morocco's fans in Doha were second to none, really. It's them, it's Argentina. Like I said, it was Tunisia and Senegal for me who really stood out. But they will fill that stadium full of Moroccan fans and the noise will be unbearable throughout. The whistling every time the opposition have the ball, the cheering and singing every time the Moroccans do anything of positive note. I mean, it's just fantastic to witness. They can definitely cheer on Morocco to a high level. I think they already have in terms of being able to defend for their lives. It, it all depends on whether the Moroccans are fully fit. Nayef Aguerd, the West Ham defender, if he is fit, he missed the last game. His replacement, El Yamik, was man of the match. He was absolutely unbelievable. Um, but then you also have Roman Saiz, who went off with injury in that game with his hamstring. Again, those three players, if you like, whichever two of them start, are going to be absolutely integral. If they get back Masrawi at left back as well, he missed the last game. That would be huge for them as well. So we'll see how they're, they're doing in terms of their fitness. But if France play the way that they played against England, they can definitely be beaten by Morocco, which would be a miraculous result. How do we see this game going? I actually, ironically, having all said about how, you know, boring and defensive a, a defending team can be, I actually have found Morocco really entertaining this tournament. I don't know whether it's just because they're the underdog, because their fans are going mental every time they get the ball. But like, I've said the same on many occasions already, Molly. Absolutely agree. Like, they've just got that's some what makes them unique. Players, they? Yeah, yeah. Like... I, I know they've been the underdog and I know there have been times where they've had to defend and dig in and do the the hard, boring stuff well. But like, they've got some really fun players to watch. And yeah, I've just, you know what, I've just really enjoyed them and I'm definitely rooting for them. Um, and I think uh, it's kind of one of those where your heart is like, Morocco can do this. And then your head's like, come on, what are the actual chances of them beating Spain, Portugal and France? to get to a World Cup final, surely they can't do it. You'd, you'd actually be gutted if you were Morocco. Like what we were saying about earlier, the kind of route to a final. If they'd have got like the other teams, like I'd have genuinely backed them to beat either Argentina or Croatia just because of the way they play. And I think for them, obviously France is the most difficult semi-final they could have got. And obviously it takes a, a an act an extra kind of connotation with with the cultural um, background as well. But I just think 
they again like uh, how we talked about Croatia having such a togetherness like imagine the mood in that Morocco camp right now like they're all playing better like you look at Ziyech for Chelsea and then you look at how he plays for Morocco and it's like night and day and I think like look I'd, I'd love to see them do it I just think France are just gonna do something boring and be good and you know, in much the same way that in the build-up to England-France, you all talk about how to stop uh, Mbappe and that you've got one of the best-placed right-backs in the world to do so. Morocco do as well. And mm. Ashraf Hakimi. And he's not, I was just you know, going to say I, that. I saw him tweet. I saw him actually tweet him directly, <laughs> Mbappe, yeah. saying, like, looking forward to seeing you on uh, on Tuesday or whatever it is, my friend. And Was it Wednesday? Anyway, it's a World Cup. can't remember. <laughs> um, it's, a bit, it's, a bit, it's a bit like with... Um, sort of everyone was talking about Kane and Lloris getting into each other's heads with the penalties because they play each other. So, you know, they, they train with each other. It's like, it's the same with, with these guys, you know, it's like, how are they, you know, two, 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 you know, PSG club mates, they, 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 they must come up against each other in training every day. And then when they're doing match situations, they will be, you know, you, they will be, they will know each other's games inside out. And that's going to make a really fascinating dimension to this, which is why I think, you know, and then we said this in the build up to the, to the England France game as well, they they've got to have a plan for Griezmann. And I mean, Griezmann has been uh, James Gearbrand's written a sensational piece today in the Times about kind of why he thinks Griezmann should be considered one of the greatest international footballers ever because of the way he's reinvented himself and the way that he's had so many tournaments where he's he's brought something different. And I think if if Griezmann can do even for he showed even in about what twenty minutes. If if you let him go for twenty minutes, he has the ability to 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 to, to kind of to knock you out of a tournament, basically. But he'll do well to find space in that midfield. He will do very mm. well. They're, the way they've defended so kind of compactly that midfield three. Well, it's, I said this before. It's more like a four-one-four-one. Amrabat sits so deep, and then got four players in front of them. They're all really really compact. And Hugh, you mentioned you know the first first choice left back is. Has been injured, but uh, Atia Allah was was extraordinary as well in the last game. Another player is really quick, and you know with Dembele on the right as well as a player with great pace, and he he was outstanding in the last game. So their defensive structure and the way that they can spring attacks on the break has been an absolute joy to watch, and I think they will pose France problems again. Absolutely, uh, look, it's going to come down to I'm sure fine margins again whether they can really contain those two wingers because there'll be crosses coming in the box and when crosses come in the box they need to defend them very well and as you said at the start they're missing their two first choice probably going to be missing their two first choice centre halves but I think they'll I think they'll cause them problems it will not be a walk in the park for France I don't want to bring a bit of a downer to proceedings but if if Morocco do go all the way this and, and win the World Cup that Morocco are the winners that FIFA would most like to win this World Cup because I think it gives them I think this a, a complete underdog coming from nowhere and winning the World Cup would would only highlight and only strengthen their plans for an expanded World Cup next time, and it would give, it would be a justification I think for them. I think they would see it as 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 as, say, as as saying, look, any team any team can win the World Cup, and the teams that you don't you don't think are heralded, and you know the big the big countries don't always win the World Cup, and I think that's. You know, I, I, you know, I'm not saying that's why. You know, I, I, I'd be delighted if Morocco won the World Cup, but I think a slightly sort of sour political note to this as well. Is I, I think, think um, I, I think they would you know. use it as justification for bringing it to Qatar. 
Yeah, I was just about yeah. to say. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Look, yeah. Those are two points that absolutely like, they would kind of fade into the background mm. for the enormity of what this would mean. Mm. But they they are valid points, absolutely. So, mm. um, look, I'm still going to be cheering them. Yeah. We'll go deeper into the details on that when we preview Morocco taking part in the actual final. Okay, we can bring those two points back onto the podcast okay. when they get past France. 1-0, that's my prediction. Uh, <laughs> another clean sheet. What? Oh, genuinely, I've watched them in the flesh at this World Cup, what, three times? They are, without doubt, the hardest working team at the World Cup. Without doubt, the fittest team at the World Cup. In terms of the sprints that they do per game, it is ridiculous. You know, you you see the likes of Hakimi like sprinting the length of the pitch to close down the goalkeeper, you know, in stoppage time at the end of the last game, which made no sense to me. I was literally screaming, stay in your own half. You're only going to have to run back. But he, he still did it. He still had the physical ability to do it. They just don't give you an inch. And when they counter, it doesn't always come off. They've got a few players with just really quick feet. I think it's Unahi in the midfield. Unahi's been brilliant. as well. I've loved watching Bufal this tournament. Like, yeah. I always actually loved him at Southampton, but I've really loved watching him this tournament. But this is the thing. So they've got a few players that just have the quality of first touch and a little p- pass with the second touch. Suddenly they play a little triangle and they've gone past you in the midfield and suddenly they're into your back four and they've got half the pitch to run into. So those counter-attacks, like I say, there are so many occasions. I know it will seem weird because of the, the score lines that they've had so far, but if you look their, at their games as a whole... There are so many occasions where if they just get the final pass right, they'll be in two on the goalkeeper or two on one, you know, on the centre half. You know, it's it's they are so close so often on the counter attack to having an incredible move end up with a one on one. It just needs to go their way, just needs to fall their way. And of course, they need to take the few opportunities that they get. If they do that, they are an incredibly difficult team to score a goal past eight games now under this manager one goal conceded that was an own goal in the group stage against Canada I think and uh, and they definitely it, can do it is it not like a less than like less than a handful of shots on target they've conceded as well it's like remarkable no one statistics. really no, no one no one gets a shot off in their box yeah, like you're not gonna yeah. you're not gonna get a shot off in the box basically they're they're incredible they are incredible it would be a dream story it would be an incredible result for the Moroccan nation and all of their football ta- fans if they can beat France it is a huge huge step my heart obviously says Morocco my head says France what do we think will happen Gregor I'm with you yeah I really wanted to be Morocco but I feel like France might just find a way and it might be you know as they're, they're the walking wounded and they've done so they've done remarkably well to kind of I don't know battle through the number of injuries that they've had and you know bring in and use so many substitutes in most games but I just feel like it could be one too far I hope not though I actually think France could be complacent I, I genuinely think that they're not going to think that Morocco can do it and I, I, I think Morocco will score I don't know if they'll win but I think they'll score uh, I think I think I think it's a, I think it'll be a game too far for them. Sadly, I think France will win. I think you just have too much quality. I, I, I was incredibly impressed by them against England in a game in which the public opinion says they played second best, and yet they they the, in the key moments. And I think this is the most important thing in the in the moments where they are on top, they will create chances that will seriously seriously threaten Morocco and I think that's what I think that's the that's the problem that said I do actually I do also think I was not impressed at all with Upamecano against England and I think he can be got at definitely 
I think England didn't test Koundé enough either. And I think there is a, I think, I think there are weaknesses in the in the French defence that, um, that 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 Morocco could certainly exploit. But I think France is going to be too going to have too much quality for them. Okay. Well, my head says France three nil. My heart says Morocco one nil. I'm going to say Morocco one nil. Come on, the Atlas Lions, the dream of an African team in the World Cup final may well come true. We will speak to you after both of those games. So we will have a, a podcast for you in the middle of the night on Tuesday and Wednesday, reviewing each of those semifinals. Great conversation. Gregor Robertson, Molly Hudson, James Restall, thank you very much. You can look online, find out what Henry Winter's been saying about who needs to replace Gareth Southgate as England boss and read all of our great uh, journalism ahead of these two semifinals on the Times app right now. Download that wherever you get your apps from. Of course, you can subscribe to the podcast. Just hit the bell notifications or let you know whenever we release an episode. Also subscribe to the game. Just check it out online. Thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We'll see you tomorrow.